You're listening to the Illustration Hour podcast, an interview podcast where I talk to illustrators, art directors, and agents about the craft and business of illustration. My name is Julia Dufosse, and I'm an editorial and commercial illustrator based in Chicago. And I'm chatting with creatives within the world of illustration to learn about their process, the challenges they faced along the way, and how to succeed as an illustrator today. Hello and welcome back to the Illustration Hour. I'm your host, Julia Dufosse. I hope you're all safe and taking care of yourself. Uh, I hope you're finding ways to keep yourself occupied and that you're managing your anxiety. I've been getting lots of emails from uh, some of you sharing what you've been up to in these weeks of self-isolation. And there have been some really nice projects and resources shared with me. I will be sharing some of these on the Instagram, which is at Illustration Hour, and through my weekly newsletter. But as always, if you have something to share, shoot me an email at illustrationhourpodcast at gmail.com. So this week, I'm sharing an interview I recorded with the cartoonist and illustrator Brian Blomerth. Brian, thank you for taking the time to talk to me during this weird time. It was really an honor to talk with you. It was my first time chatting with someone who is more within the realms of comics and cartoon strips on the show. Not that these distinctions really matter. I'm really trying to bring you interviews of people that are using illustration in different ways and to make a whole range of different things. And Brian is one of those people that is really making something incredibly personal and unique with his skills. Brian started getting recognition for his narrative skills and cartoons after Vice hired him for her weekly column. And you'll learn in this interview this period of a couple of years contributing to his Vice column weekly really helped Brian to develop as a cartoonist. And ultimately, it helped to catapult Brian into a successful career as both a freelance illustrator injecting his canine creations into posters and merch for brands, and also as a cartoonist and comic book author. Brian's first full-length graphic novel, Brian Blumworth's Bicycle Day, came out in the summer of 2019, and it tells the story of a fateful afternoon during which Albert Hoffman, a Swiss chemist and one of the first scientists to research LSD, dosed himself with LSD and rode his bike home. That's an event that actually happened. So I asked Brian about his process, and I found out that Brian doesn't really sketch, but instead just goes straight from having ideas to inking, which is so insane to me. Brian shared what it was like to write and finish his first graphic novel, how he approached storytelling, and what type of research he did to complete the book. So go check out Brian's work. He is at Pups in Trouble on Instagram. Buy his book and listen to this interview. I think there's a lot to learn from Brian's approach to long projects that might push you to begin something huge, something that will take you time and motivation to finish. And those projects are so valuable and critical for personal development. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Blumerth. Hi, Brian. Uh, Thanks for uh, agreeing to come on. No problem. I love that intro song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to introduce you uh, after. I usually record those after I uh, edit the podcast. So don't worry. Uh, I, figured, I figured as much. <laughs> I figured as much. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to start off just by asking you how you usually describe yourself when, when someone asks you, what do you do? See, this is actually funny because this happened uh, the other day. Um, I was out. I've been here at my uh, girlfriend's parents' house for the last couple days, and uh, girl, we saw the neighbor, and and uh, my girlfriend's dad was like, "Oh, hey, Brian just goes upstairs and he draws dogs all day." And the neighbor was like, "What does that mean? Draws dogs all day?" <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, 
Yeah, usually they kind of describe it as drawing dogs, which is is uh, completely confusing and bizarre. Uh, it's a little usually, demeaning. yeah, I guess so. But <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny. <laughs> I got no problems with it. Um, either either illustrator or cartoonist, kind of depending on uh, what the situation seems like. Do you usually feel like you're more of a of a cartoonist, or do you feel like you belong in the kind of category of us as of an illustrator? Or probably more cartoonist, just because illustrator. Uh, I think my stuff is so specific; it's really hard to. Uh, and I'm, I'm not really like a very adaptable for a lot of different gigs kind of mm. uh, person who draws. I think, but I mean, I could be entirely wrong on that. But that's just my own thought on it. Is that. Uh, Typically, people only hit me up for for actual illustration gigs. People only hit me up for like a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. As in, they kind of want you to do your thing, but just do it for them. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is fine and good, and I mean, uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, uh, that makes it a lot easier. And people don't know what it what it is, or they don't uh, they don't have a clear like understanding of what I do. It's like never gonna work out. It's uh-huh. gonna be like a back and forth that goes nowhere. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I don't think that disqualifies you from calling yourself an illustrator. Uh, there's a lot of illustrators that I guess that just have their own style and do their own thing, no matter the assignment. But I just think it it's different from. Somebody who does editorial, maybe, or uh, have you ever done editorial work? I, I mean, I know you uh, have. You've uh, you've wrote for Vice, uh, but you did your own um, cartoon for Vice. But have you ever done more editorial uh, illustration stuff? Yeah, I've done. Uh, I've done the New York Times once, which is funny, and uh, Bloomberg a couple times, and. Uh, what else? I've done Vice a couple times in, in the editorial thing. Is that something you enjoy or is that something you, you kind of don't really like to do? I don't have a problem with it. It's totally fine. It's great. I got zero problems with it. I think it's cool. Um, it's uh, fun when it works out. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Totally cool. Do you usually draw in the exact same way? I'm, I haven't seen your editorial work. I don't know if you've put it on your website because I didn't see it. Yeah, um, it typically looks the same. Um, yeah, I don't really put it on my website like that. Mm. It's because uh, I mean, there's kind of like usually I try to keep the website like more personal work uh, or things that uh, you know. Yeah, I don't know because so much of that is like you're doing a gig for someone else. It's less of a of a total me kind of thing. And I think that's kind of different in my world too, is usually I'm only pushing things that are more like, you know, uh, entirely my idea kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, like with a client, it's like 50, 50. Yeah. 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 I think it's a very different way of, of kind of thinking about your work actually, which is kind of interesting because I think for a lot of illustrators, it's the exact opposite. They sometimes are ashamed to, to show personal work because it might not translate into something that a client would want or something like that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like with Pete, Pete is, uh, when uh, me and Pete hang out from time to time. And you're talking about Pete Gamlin. Yeah. I mean, he does it more like, uh, he's, it's not like good or bad, but he's like more of on the, uh, more of on the side where, he does more things like that more regularly, you know? Meanwhile, on, like, the band side, they're just looking for, um, they're just looking for whatever. Like, usually they have ideas, but they don't, uh, they're not looking for something highly specific, you know? Like, an editorial would be way more specific than a mm-hmm. uh, tour poster would be, you know? Like, they'd have ideas, like, they wanted to match X or have something else in there, but uh, it's less of a... Uh, you know, uh, editorial is more like a specific idea versus, mm-hmm. you know, for band stuff, it's less of a specific idea most of the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I want to kind of like retrace how your career developed because it seems like I, I, I'm trying to put it together looking at your website and from what I know and from looking at stuff that you've done before. Uh, and it looks like a really important moment was in 2017 when you started uh, contributing uh, kind of a column to Vice, and it was called oh, 100%. Alphabet Junction. 
Yeah. And I think, it, I might be wrong, but is this where you started introducing your signature kind of like dog character style? No, I've done that before. I had, uh, I've been doing this for a long time. It's just I've gotten a lot better at drawing the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So obviously a lot more things happened. And before 2017, I wasn't, uh, I definitely wasn't doing this for a living, you know, and even in the beginning, it was, it was very, uh, you know, I barely made my rent for like a year. Yeah. That kind of style. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, uh, financially I was not doing this all the time. Um, so I got pretty lucky with the vice thing and then that continued for a year and, uh, more gigs have come out of that, you know? So now this is pretty much what I do full time, which is great. And that's subject to change at all times, but I'm uh, <laughs> riding with it and I enjoy it and I got no problems with it. So there you go. So, yeah. So walk me up. So like 2017, I guess, before Vice kind of approached you, um, what were you doing? What was your plan? Like what sort of things were you making at that time? Um, well, I did have two like longer comics I'd made um, that were just like self-published longer ones. Um mm-hmm. So that, and I would do like zines from time to time, but, uh. And did you, did you go to school for illustration or? No, I went to VCU for painting actually. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. Why did you choose to go there for painting? Um, well, I mean, it's a state school, which is cool. Right. Um, Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good art school for being a state school, which is also very cool. And I was lucky to. Uh, my dad is in the military, so I grew up in Virginia, and we moved around a bit when I was younger. But uh, yeah, I ended up in Virginia long enough to be in state and go to the state school, and uh, got a scholarship because of the military thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's how I started going to school. And then when I was in art school, there was uh, you do an AFO year, and then you decide what you want to do for like your major. And the illustration stuff there wasn't really, I mean, they weren't really like, it wasn't really a school known for illustration, but it was more known for fine art. So I kind of switched into that, but I've always loved drawing the most. So I don't know why I did it like that. And there's certain things that I wish I knew now, like I don't really know how to use an illustrator and I know I would have learned how to do it if I had gone to school for illustration. Uh I I mean, why did you, why did you actually go for, for painting, I guess at the time? Was it, because you were already kind of drawing and you thought painting might be fun or were you, were you actually painting yeah, before you went to school? It's like a painting and printmaking degree. So uh-huh. it's like a 50, 50 blend kind of deal. Yeah, I don't know. And I thought maybe, uh, you know, uh, when I was younger, I thought maybe like fine art would be something I could do. But, uh, you know, the more I got, uh, like the older I got, the more I was like, ah, that's not for me at all. What am I even doing? This isn't like where my, where my skills set lies or my interests lie. Like, um, fine art too is such a, like a crapshoot. I think personally, it's just like so few people make it. And then you only have like a limited career. Meanwhile, if you specialize, you know, you can have a longer one or at least be able to make, you got a living for yourself mm-hmm. if you specialize, you know? Yeah. 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 So I, I imagine once you came out of that program, must've been a little bit, uh, like disillusioned by 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 that program, but also, I, I'm I'm wondering if you had kind of like a an idea of what you were going to do when you came out. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely nothing. And I didn't learn how to uh, make a living off of this until 2017. Which <laughs> right. Is, yeah. I listened to a couple of these other they in the other two illustration ones. It's like the other illustrators. They kind of seem more like they knew how to do it and how to make a living off of it. It took me years, and it kind of just happened by accident. So, I mean, were you freaking out after you uh, left school, or were you sort of like just taking small jobs and trying to figure it out? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was taking jobs that had nothing to do with uh, this at all. Like, I was a dog walker for a long time. I was a medical study lab rat for a long time. Um, I was just kind of taking whatever uh, dumb gig uh, came around, you know? Yeah. When did your kind of, your drawing style kind of develop to what it is now? Because it is so, I think, unique uh, to you. I mean, first of all, you've got the, the dog characters, but you also have this kind of 
there's this grittiness, there's the colors, there's the line, there's ev- everything It seems very thought through. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely what happened was when I got the, the, the gig for Vice, um, it started out being occasionally like once every couple of weeks. And then things really started to come into focus when uh, they asked me to do every week. So then it was like, well, hello, this is a job now. Like, this is going to just pay my rent, and that's it. But it's a full-time gig. So, like, every weekend then, I was making one of these. And definitely, things started uh, snapping more into focus, just kind of out of necessity and out of this deadline. Because it wasn't just working for them, too. I also did a... Uh, and I still occasionally work for a marijuana magazine, Mary Jane. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you had a you had a regular gig there, too, right? Uh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was every other week there, but still. So, I mean, it was a ton of work out of nowhere, uh, which was pretty great. But then, I mean, definitely all of these things developed and it's been pretty quick because of the amount of work I had to put <laughs> into the world very fast, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like you were forced to develop much faster in a way. Oh, 100%. And it's so funny because it's like, um, I'd never thought that I would a get any of those opportunities and b get better, you know, um, or at least I think I'm getting better. I'm still not like that great at drawing, but I think I'm definitely. The more you do it, the better you feel, the more confident you feel. Blah blah blah. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. Uh, do you know how Vice kind of found you? Um, they had one editor, this is all pretty funny because it's, there's one editor who asked me to do it in the beginning and then he left and he went to the weed magazine. So there's one common true thread. And then the other, uh, editor is the one that asked me to do it all of the time or at least every week. Oh yeah. That's, that's cool. So just literally one person kind of like was the source. For yeah, both. that's it. Yeah, one yeah, person yeah. turned my, and he's a good buddy. Um, he's a good friend, Zach Sokol. I'm going to shout his name out. <laughs> uh, he's great. Um, definitely. Thank you, Zach. We hang out from time to time. We talk all the time. He's amazing. So yeah, it's just really one person that changed my whole life in this way. Do you know what he saw that made him kind of think you were the right person for this or? Um, he'd seen a couple of comics and zines at Desert Island. Okay. So he was he was down beforehand. And he was the weekend editor there at Vice. So they um they were basically like, Okay, you're in charge of like basically anything you want over the weekend. So that's how it started. Yeah, that's cool. Uh it, it's yeah, it's kind of interesting because Vice has this it they do kind of have this history of picking people like that. Uh I I'm thinking of uh Highfish, uh because she did a, a comic book there, too, or, or, or a comic series there. Oh, yeah. Hers is great for them. And I think that launched her career as well, in a way. Um, not sure if it actually did, but uh, I think it did. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, uh, she's collected those into two books, and those books are great uh, for Breakdown Press. Yeah, it's uh, Zach Sokol was the first guy, and then Nick Gazin is the other guy. And uh-huh. Gazin also, I need to uh, shout out, he's the main comics editor and they're not even doing comics over there anymore. So, uh-huh. I mean, it was really a pretty lucky time period. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's also funny that I'm, it just occurred to me that both you and uh, and Highfish, they, you both have these animal characters, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if somebody has a, an affinity towards that there, but... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I can't answer. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of, uh, it is kind of funny. I don't know what's up with the funny animal genre having a little bit of a resurgence. Um, I'm, I'm into it, though. It seems pretty good to me. So how did that, how did that whole genre kind of enter your, your personal style, your personal drawings? Like, was it something that you kind of, you were, you thought about it and you just did it? Or was it something you were always doing without noticing it no i kind of made a a specific uh point to do it this way i mean i i the funny animal genre is my favorite comics genre and i think it's super weird and super bizarre and it kind of uh there's a certain thing where i don't know exactly i mean i just really like it and i'm a i'm a big proponent of it and 
that's kind of where it comes from for sure. But I definitely made an active choice to participate in this. But as far as why, and this seems insane that I don't have a, a total why, because it is such a dominating threat <laughs> in my life. Why dogs and not, you know, cats or some other animal? Well, see, that is a good question. And there's a, do you know Carl Barks' work at all? No, I don't. No. See, Carl Barks is a guy who's mainly responsible for the, the Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck comics. Okay, okay. He always drew every character besides the ducks is usually uh, a dog face kind of person. Yeah. And uh, those are the people that inhabit the world besides the ducks. So this kind of felt like a weird continuation in that way. And also I just kind of, uh, I don't know, I just like the way they look. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's funny that you you lose the perspective of it being this freaky half-human, half-dog uh-huh. thing once you're in it for a bit. Like, that no longer gets questioned. And I feel like the reader eventually is just like, oh, I'm coming back and I'm questioning this again. But you don't question it until, like, very late, you know, like, much later. Uh-huh. I like that. Yeah, because they they have human bodies and kind of, like, human expressions. They're not... Yeah, they're completely yeah. disgusting if you think about them yeah. in the flesh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're pretty freaky, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're terrifying. (laughs) Have you ever considered having a different animal, or is that something that you're not even interested in? See, at this point, no, because I like how it's a, there's a continuing through line. And I could do it, and I do, I have been introducing a lot of other critters in the background, and I don't think I'm bad at drawing other critters. I just have never done anything where it stars a critter or a critter isn't uh, isn't placed on the uh, on the critter like hierarchy, you know. Like most of the time, the critters so far have just been kind of in the background hanging yeah. out. Yeah, they don't really interact like these dog people do amongst themselves. So yeah, I mean, I have been thinking about that. I mean, obviously, there's there's been the thought to change it up and do people at some point. And it could happen, you know, I'm not opposed to it. I just don't know how that would even happen or what they'd even look like. The New York Times, when I did, they actually, they had me do non-dog people. Uh-huh. This was funny. What I did was, all I did was give it a human, give the dog person a human ear. <laughs> it looks like a person. <laughs> but it still had the same characteristics otherwise? It had, a, it had like a red nose. You know, how, yeah. you know who George McManus is? Yeah, yeah. If they don't, uh, if they don't have the dog ears, they end up looking like George McManus's people, which is fine with me. Do you observe a lot of different dog breeds and kind of like try to represent them or get ideas that way? Or is, are they totally inaccurate in terms of? Totally inaccurate, I think. Um, there's really only, I've been doing this thing recently. I've realized there's only a couple of, uh, there's only a couple of faces that I have. So it's kind of like a cast of actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of had to, I'm trying to figure out, it's weird. It's like once there's a new character, there's a certain limited number of noses that I have that makes sense of this and a limited number of snout types that makes sense uh-huh. of this. And if I do come up with a new one, it's like a breakthrough where it's like, oh yes, we can switch these couple of elements around and then we have a couple more, you know, but it's kind of like now that they're actors and they play different roles, you know, but it's basically the same character because uh-huh. I don't have that many right now that I can really work into this, which is a hilariously dumb problem to have when you're <laughs> drawing. It's like, how is this a problem? You can draw anything you want, but then somehow I'm stuck with these couple faces, but they just make sense to me and they make sense in the thing. So that's it. That's where we're at. Yeah. And I think it, that those constraints also end up giving you a, a, a style that's very unique and different from everybody else. Yeah, you would hope so. <laughs> you don't think so? You'd hope. I guess so. I, it's hard to say, really, uh, from my vantage point. I mean, I think so. I hope so. But, you know, uh, you never know. Yeah. So I, I want to talk more about drawing itself because I you've already kind of alluded to the fact that you you think you're a terrible drawer or something. Uh, you, I, maybe that's but not the worst, but not the best yeah. either. You know, there's a... So that's very surprising to me just because your drawings are very, like, they're very impressive, especially, uh, I mean, if, if some somebody who doesn't know how to draw looks at your drawings, they're probably like, wow, like, 
Uh, there's a lot of details. There's a lot of, I mean, cartoons by definition, I think, are so impressive because there's just a lot going on in the background. There's a lot going on with the characters. And even illustrators who might work as editorial illustrators might be very intimidated by that. Um because it's definitely an art and in itself, and it's definitely very different from from just being an illustrator and doing um, editorial commissions, for example. Um, but you sort of seem to like have this. Uh, I don't know. You're not totally confident in your drawings, which is kind of interesting. Well, you know, you want to. Uh, you know, you don't want to. If I felt like I would, there was no room to grow or improve or anything like that, then this would be an entirely wa- huge waste of time. Right, you yeah. Know? Um, you always want to feel like you can do a lot more all the time. And I mean, because it is like a daily, I've said this before in interviews, it's kind of like a game that you play with yourself, but you also play it against like anybody else who's ever drawn anything that you like, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a continuing you know, battle of, A, the will to do a whole comic thing because it takes so damn long, and B, to uh, keep yourself interested in the rules of the game that you've set up, you know? Right, yeah. Usually to do a bigger project, there's just, like, so many things that have to happen to make a bigger project work, like uh, a list of influences, like where you're trying to go with it, and, uh, I don't know, all sorts of things to keep you motivated and trick you to do a huge project you know yeah yeah it's different i think than editorial where it's like um whenever i get to do that it feels more like a one-off and there's total freedom in a way that uh doing a whole comic thing once you set out to do it you're stuck in uh yeah 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 it forces you to like kind of like stay with it for a while yeah 100 percent, and it sucks to uh it sucks to have to go in and out of it. Um, when you do have to do gigs for other people, it's like you have to stop this longer thing you're working on that makes it take forever. The best is just to feel like, oh, hey, every day I'm climbing up the same mountain rather than jumping from one mountain to another mountain and going like, hey, I'm over here now and then switching back and forth, you know? Yeah, and I've heard this from people who do more um, like book covers and stuff because those projects take a lot longer than editorial commissions or even commercial commissions sometimes. They can take years for some reason that I don't quite understand because <laughs> it's a book cover. But uh, yeah, apparently those they've described the same thing where it's really frustrating to have to jump in and out of other projects when you have this long kind of thing. Just yeah, looming. record covers sometimes can have that same kind of vibe. Um, it's usually less, and I'm pretty lucky in that. But there have been uh, like record cover things where it's you go back and forth a bunch of times, you know? I think that's because the marketing kind of people get involved and they kind of decide whether or not it's viable and they do that like a hundred times. That's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's some goofy stuff like that. I mean, it's it's what it is, you know? Going back to like your drawings and and I guess how it's evolved over time, I'm curious if you've noticed... What do you think are things that have improved, I guess, over time since you mentioned that? Huh. Shoot. I mean, I think the whole thing since 2017 for sure. And I mean, I'm a lot more confident in uh, in trying new things out. And I've been continuously trying to add new things in. Has your process changed at all? Like the type of tools that you use or the, the way that you sketch or anything like that? See, no, that's pretty funny. The process has stayed entirely the same. Um, And, uh, yeah, this this is the sort of thing that might be interesting for you guys, is that I am a strict Bristol, either 14 by 17 or or the big version 19 by 22 person. Uh Um, I use a rapidograph for everything. Uh And sometimes a nib, you know, a dip nib. And that's kind of it. Like, I don't do penciling. Um, I don't really sketch anything out. I'm kind of a, just a straight to ink. Okay, okay. That's that's interesting, yeah. It, that takes a lot of confidence, I would think, because just committing to ink right away is just so terrifying. I guess so, but this is the way I've been doing it this whole time. <laughs> so it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like that big of a switch up. And I can see that if I had been doing it, if I had been penciling, um, 
I probably would have been, I don't know. It seems like with penciling you do, I think that a lot of my problems are committing to something and just pushing it out there, you know, as opposed to like, let's say if I'd been a pencil person, I mean, it's too late now. I can't change it. No. (laughs) But if I'd been a pencil person, I think you get more, uh, you get better at like keeping what you're doing sturdy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It stays the same more consistently than mine where it always feels like, let's say if I do, it's most apparent if I have to do like an animation for someone, I can see everything because I do it straight in ink as well. I can see everything warble. You can tell in all of uh, in all the things I do, everything is always in a state of weird flux because of uh, it just being straight to ink. Yeah, and not like doing the shapes exactly the same every time. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. everything's like breathing in a weird way. Well, it gives it a, a kind of a charm, I think, and kind of wonkiness that is kind of really fun. But one would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I think it definitely does, and I think that definitely comes from you not sketching out in pencil beforehand which it's it's just still kind of insane to me because when you're doing a complicated kind of like scene, uh, I just have no idea how you would do that. Committing to ink, I would be paralyzed. Um, what happens when you make a mistake, for example? Oh, I use, I use whiteout like a psychopath. Oh, okay, okay. I'm a deep whiteout freak. Okay, so... I mean, you can only use whiteout so much, so some things are pretty annoying. Um and, uh, yeah, sometimes I'll have to do, like, you, like use a light box and redo. But that's so rare. Um, most of the time, it's just you come up with a plan and then you just uh, go through with it, you know? Like, I, if before I draw something, I usually have a pretty good idea. Shirts and stuff are different because then I'll usually draw a ton of stuff separately and then kind of scan it in and place it around. I see. But okay. with the comic stuff, it's just one straight, like... Um, they're usually what you see is what you get in terms of like the black line work and stuff. Yeah, that's a pretty old school way of doing it because I imagine a lot of people what they would do is what you described for for shirts. Also, um, you could work kind of like that where you're doing little drawings and kind of collaging, I guess. Yeah, I mean, some people do um, like Chester Brown does every panel like separately and then he puts them all together. Uh huh. You could do something like that, but I mean, I just think it's so satisfying to, uh, you know, it is like the marathon mentality where it's satisfying to have a, a big piece of paper that's that's done, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so once you sat, you're sat in front of a paper. You you have a plan. Is it in your head or is it kind of like? I I just can't imagine how you hold all those ideas without sketching something first. <laughs> Yeah, I don't ever sketch anything ever, which is you pretty write it out? weird. For, like, the book, I had, like, an outline, and I made yeah. an outline, and I had a plan for, you know, every day I would have to do a page, so I'd have a plan for the page, and I would uh, have a rough idea of where I was going. And then while I was working on one, you're thinking about the next one, the one after that. So, I mean, you just have a lot of time where you're just sitting there and thinking about what's going to happen next. Um so, yeah, I don't know. I just have a plan in the head and then just go from there. Yeah. Usually I start with uh, noses and that's where, uh, you know, I'll do a nose and then draw the character and then that's where that person is. Like, I'll start with where the character positions are and then backgrounds behind them. Yeah. And there you go. Do you look at, at inspiration while you're working, before you're working, or kind of a mix of the two? A mix of the two. Sometimes I'll have like, I'll remember that I'd seen something similar to what I want it to be. And I'll try to figure out what that was, you know, but then that will get distracting. And I'll just say, screw it. I'll just go for it anyway. Um, I do have a couple of people that I really like and go to for inspiration on the bookshelf. Um, who are some of those people? I mean, I'm I'm curious now. I, that that was one of the questions I was saving for later, but but um, but I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, I really like. Uh, and I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Oh, that's so okay. This Just give is, it a try. <laughs> this is going to be a problem. Uh, his name's Suho Tagawa, and he's a he's a Japanese manga artist. Okay. From, okay. Like from World War II. Um, I bought a set of his books off of Yahoo Auctions and. They are like a constant well. They're so great. Oh, huge, are, are uh, those the ones that are kind of just very novel-like? 
Yeah, I they're think thick. I've heard of this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're fat and they're like they're all star. It's basically like this. I don't know if it's a cat or a dog. I, I can't really figure out exactly what kind of critter this is, which I, is also very nice to me. Um, it's basically like this uh, this critter goes through, and uh, he's in the Japanese army, and all sorts of stuff happened. But just like the backgrounds are done with obviously a very like. They're a cartoonist version of like Japanese woodcuts a lot, and they borrow from that whole tradition. It's just great to look at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can kind of see that a little bit in your work, actually. Uh, Sometimes, yeah. I mean, it's just like that style to me is just so nice. So, you know, like I don't think I can ever even hold a candle to uh, most woodblock people, but I just love the way the backgrounds look. I mean, obviously, Herge did something. He's obviously in that same kind of like category where it's it's like the graphicness and flatness of like woodblock, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's just something I'm always like trying to uh, get better at. Yeah, it's just like a nice because you want to like communicate information and have it feel like you're in a world when you're doing your drawings. Like they exist in a place that feels like you, but also feels like a place that you had seen before maybe or you know because in reality nothing looks anything like uh, any of these places that i draw right yeah yeah uh, well and you also i mean especially in bicycle day which is your uh your full-length kind of comic book uh that was published with anthology it it's very trippy so (laughs) it wouldn't look exactly like anything you've ever seen unless you were yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I do look at Herge a lot, um, as I think everybody kind of does. Barks, like I was talking about before. um, uh, Floyd Gotferson. This is another name I can't pronounce. Floyd Gotferson. um, He did the Mickey Mouse uh, comics from the newspaper comics. Um, Mm -hmm. Windsor McKay, obviously. Uh, Who else? B. Clyburn. Steinberg. Mm-hmm. I think that in some ways my stuff looks like totally like me. And then in other ways, it's like, it's like a super indebted, like formulist. Like if you had like a very specific trajectory of comics history and you kind of stuffed it in and then pushed it into the grinder and shot it out, like that would be me. So I'm kind of like not that unique in a weird way. Like it really is like a couple of things getting stuffed in, you know? I mean, that's everyone. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always clearer to to, to us, like, uh, what our inspirations are and how we kind of feel sometimes a little bit ashamed or we think it's a little funny. Um, yeah, definitely. And you were talking about doing everything by hand in terms of the lines before uh, with a rapidograph on paper. How do you color? How do you color your stuff? Do you? do that in a more digital way or yeah i do that through uh, photoshop and the main reason i do that that way i mean some things are uh i do do a lot of funny like little tricks and gags with like you know ink splatter and stuff like that and some of those are done like legit um and some of those are done like i will scan i'll do like a texture mm-hmm. and then scan it in separately but yeah photoshop and uh i basically have like a good swatch of uh of colors and that's you kind just of my color drop them range. on or do you use brushes in photoshop you just i usually just uh i don't know what that i guess it's the paint bucket <laughs> i scan it in as a bitmap like as a as a text scan as a you know as a tiff and that usually erases a lot of the white out uh-huh. i have to like connect some things I'll keep it in the bitmap and use the photoshop bitmap thing to kind of connect and that way the line work is flat and as crisp as I can kind of get it. And then, uh, you know, filling stuff in. Sometimes I'll use a brush, um, but for the most part, it's kind of just filling them in. So I like I'm like pretty flat for the most part. Certain things, it's nice to have that that dumb digital texture, like, you know. Like uh, the noise or... Skies, it's yeah. nice to do that fake... Uh, yeah, totally. Skies, it's nice to do that like fake like Yukio print stuff where you just drag the big brush across uh-huh, like real uh-huh. light you know yeah yeah the airbrush style but i try to do that a little like uh for my stuff 
I wouldn't really want it to be like so airbrushy, but just some things are are nice. If it doesn't feel like you want it to to be able to be translated into uh, into print flatly and nicely, that's like the goal for me. So I want to talk more about um, about Bicycle Day um, for people who who haven't kind of seen it or read it. Uh, can you give us like a, a quick overview of what it's about? Well, my pitch for the uh, for the coffee shop people, basically while I was working on this, I was going to the same coffee shop uh, pretty daily. Um, I had like a real freak out because I didn't do it right. This is the first book I've ever done. And I kind of got, uh, I kind of screwed myself over in terms of timeline and budgeting and the whole deal. Like I thought it was due at a certain time and it was due way before that because they have to transmit it, blah, 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 either way. Um, My coffee shop pitch is that it's a children's book about, uh, it's it's an experimental children's book about acid and they're, uh, or on acid. And they're like, oh, so it is a, is it like just weird? And you're like, no, it's, uh, it's actually about the guy who first synthesized it. So that's uh-huh. the coffee shop pitch. Experimental children's book on about... Oh, did I even say it right? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> now I'm doing this pitch terribly. Now that we have it. An experimental children's book on acid. Uh-huh. That's the pitch right there. That's the right phrase. And usually, uh, if I was at the coffee shop, they'd be like, yeah, okay, sir, yeah. you need to leave. <laughs> you need to get out of here. But, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the pitch, and that's kind of what informed what went into it and how I, like, approached it. And, uh, yeah, I was lucky that uh, this book company wanted to do a book, and they were cool with doing the, uh, like, collecting the vice strips and doing it that way. But I was like, no, uh, those are already online. People can already read those for free. If I'm going to do a book, I'd rather, like, actually go for it. I'm so happy I did it like that because, uh, yeah, I yeah, wanted yeah. a book for forever. And I finally uh, got a book deal, and that was fucking a dream come true. Where was the idea for the the anecdote that's kind of central to the book, which is about uh, the a chemist who was a pioneer in uh, researching LSD? Um, uh, where did that kind of anecdote of him riding a bike home, hence the the title of the book, where did that come from? Well, I mean, uh, it did happen that way. And the r- way I got interested in it was I was randomly watching a documentary on uh, on LSD on YouTube. And it started with Albert Hoffman talking about the first time. And he like, this is how the documentary started. Is he was like, oh, it was a terrible, horrible uh-huh. experience for me. And uh, obviously, uh, it, it being like a panic attack really piqued my interest. And then I... Uh, learned more about it and then thought that, hey, this could fit in like those, like there was a couple checklists of things that I thought I could do with a book that would be different and would be weird, but actually make sense. And that people not interested in my work might be interested in reading, you know, that was a big goal is to kind of try to do it. Uh, I wanted to do a biography for a while because I thought a biography with these dog people would a yeah. be very funny <laughs> and strange and entertaining for me enough to want to do it and B might be something somebody who's less interested in comics or uh, graphic novels or something might pick up randomly. And, you know, something that could be good for, you know, something that I would want to read, you know? Yeah. So did you actually research uh, Albert Hoffman a lot or did you, how much of it is based on reality, I guess? Yeah. Um, way more of it than probably most people think. And there's a lot of funny details that, uh, seem probably like I made them up, but that are not made up. Like the lunch is actually accurate. Um, the chemistry was very hard and a lot of it, some of it is less accurate than others, but Uh I really tried in that department. Um, a lot of the tools are accurate, which is insane. And uh, I learned the names of a lot of these uh, chemistry tools <laughs> that I did not need to learn, but was pretty fun and funny. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I did like at least a, you know, I did a ton of research and read like every book I could find on the uh, on him and on the topic. So there was two big ones that I read cover to cover, and then his biography, um, "My Problem Child." I read that like yeah. eight or nine times. 
like all the time. Like I had it in my bed with me when I'd go to sleep when I was working on it because I would be like going back and like checking and making sure I had X right or da 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 right, you know? Like it's all dog-eared and highlighted and, uh, you know, I had a list on the computer and a list in the book. and Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy that part of the process of 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 kind of looking through and uh, researching these uh, stories and, yeah, like really the details of of what it was like to be him? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was fun to have a, uh, a like a mile marker to uh, base this whole thing on, you know? Um, and I mean, then you get like, uh, obviously when you're making a book, you're an insane person. Um, you get like this whole like, uh, I don't know, a lot of biographer. I've, I've read some things by other, like, I mean, I'm not a biographer for real, but you know, I've read things by biographers, you know, and it is uh, you either like, you either like lose your mind and you're like totally enamored with the person or you're in complete hate of the person. Those are the only uh-huh. two ways to do a biography by the end of it. So I'd say I'm pretty enamored and uh, that was great. It felt good. I mean, I would like to do, I have another idea for a book where I already uh-huh. know I'm going to hate the person um, and I kind of already hate the person. So it would be, it's nice. It would be nice to see the other side of that. But for this one, Man, he's yeah. great. He's the best. Um, and I hope that, uh, I mean, he's 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 long past, but um, I don't know. I hope that uh, he wouldn't be super <laughs> bummed by this. But, you know, there's no way to know. <laughs> but it was important for you to kind of respect his story, I guess, in a way. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I tried to do... I mean, I thought that a it was a nice it was a nice thing to do. I respected this guy and liked and thought that his like his vision of it was obviously like not like um, his vision of it is a little less like uh, not known, but just like compared to like Leary's style, his style is entirely different. Like he just wanted it to be like researched and studied properly and mm-hmm. to have a good home, you know, like that's what he wanted for the compound. He wasn't like a uh, super hippied out. He's uh-huh. a very straight laced guy. Um, very particular about everything. And uh, I don't know. I liked that. I think that's kind of like, uh, I mean, it's not really like drawing, you know, drawing is nothing like, like chemistry at all like there's no rules there's no like things but i do try to treat it like you know in my own way i'm trying to like treat it similarly um you know with that like sort of like just trying to do things the clearest and cleanest possible um so i mean i don't know i just i've always liked uh did he ever i guess i'm wondering after that whole bicycle incident did he ever dose himself more with lsd or was that his last kind of like his oh yeah uh he, he did it he did it from time to time and there's like a whole bunch of uh there's a lot of european intellectuals uh-huh. that would come and like hang out with him and uh yeah he 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 you know, like he had like a thing with it his whole life i mean not like i mean he wasn't like uh you know, a complete burnout psychopath, you know, he stayed a chemist and he did tons of chemistry work and a lot of patents and eventually ran the program that he was in at Sandoz until he retired. So, um, yeah, he was definitely, definitely stayed with it. I mean, the book is about how he, he just wanted a home for it, like Mm. desperately. I don't know. Uh, I guess I just already said that, but he just wanted it to like not be, I mean, it's called my problem child, you know? So it's like, he just wanted a, a specific medicinal use for it, which they're starting to do with psychedelics now at Hopkins, which is another reason why I really thought this would be like a good book. Yeah. To do yeah. Now, that's that's you know? interesting. Yeah. I didn't really know much about the history of LSD before. Uh, I know now it's like a topic that a lot of people are interested in. Uh, but yeah, it, that's really cool. Is your are you thinking the second book you're gonna do? I I don't want to like for, force you to like say anything about it, but uh, is it also gonna be around uh this kind of topic of psychedelics in some way or? 
See, yeah, I think so. And we wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing the one I hate yet. I think that there is a buffer book in between. And I was actually supposed to, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing a, a, the deal with them soon. But obviously, uh, you know, right now is, is kind of uh, completely yeah. screwy. So I don't know. I'm supposed to be starting another book soon. And that'll be like, you know, if it goes according to plan, that will be next year. I'll have another book like this. Hopefully longer, hopefully a more concise plot. You know, uh-huh. those are the goals right now. How long did it take you to write uh, to, I guess, from like the beginning where you kind of pitched it to the end when it was published? How how long did Bicycle Day take? See, I pitched it in the summertime and uh, I did like an actual book pitch and I didn't know if it was going to work. And they were like, sure, that sounds fine. <laughs> Great. And I was just like, well, okay, there we go. So then... Um, I signed the stuff in August and then September I did like a bunch of research and I was still doing gigs and stuff. And then, uh, basically I was still doing other gigs. I'd gotten like halfway done by December and then they told me the book was due. So then I had like a freak out because I thought the book was due in spring but it wasn't due in spring. It was due at the end of February. So then I basically like uh, locked myself up and did like 18 hour days every day minimum and got, got it pretty much done. Yeah. And uh, then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then they did it all and released in the summertime. So I guess it's kind of like, four yeah. or five months but it sounds like you had a period where you were like intensely working nonstop. yeah i had a period where i didn't do anything else but this when you're working for clients which for you i guess is more working with bands doing um like posters or um sometimes uh record covers i assume uh is is it yeah. do you work similarly or do you work I mean you mentioned a little bit about how you draw a bunch of stuff and collage it more more so than when you work on your comics. It depends. I mean, uh, yeah, sometimes I'll do it to where most of the time there'll still be like one big drawing. Um if if I have to collage it, because it all kind of depends on piece by piece, like I've been noticing recently a lot of bands have just kind of wanted like a Mm. landscape or something like that, you know? And so those I'll typically do. I mean, if it's a landscape and I know what they want to go in it, I'll just draw it straight up. Um, Most of the time it's not really like, I mean, yeah, they just kind of want me to do my thing. There's been a couple times where uh, the best way that I do stuff with bands is if I'm like, hey, tell me things that you were thinking about when you were making the record. Send me visual cues that you've enjoyed from previous records. Like, um, if there's any work of mine that you really want to, like, incorporate something from, send it my way. You know, like, that sort of thing. Like, you just, like, for a record cover, you kind of, like, uh, have to go back and forth with people a bit. And because uh, I don't really sketch things out, it's, like it's easier if you come up with a plan together yeah, and then yeah. you go from there, you know? Cause it's like the actual like doing of the work usually only takes like a day right, or yeah. two. Uh, I mean with record stuff, if it's like they would need labels, you need front cover, back cover. Uh, if it's a gatefold, I want to die. Cause then that's another, you know, like 24 by 12, 12 inches, 24 and a quarter by 12 and a quarter. Um, yeah. Cause I have to, if I have to piece it together, And it's not like, um, some piecing together is it's just like, it's really fun because then you like, I'm just like drawing something and I'm like, oh yeah, it'd be cool to have this next to that, you know? But for record covers, they usually have more of an idea. So then I'm kind of like more locked into, uh, the thing. And if I have to piece it together, it doesn't feel as cohesive sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like a mix and match. I mean, coming up with a baseline and then adding some details that's great that's no problem but i mean coming up with something all separate really sucks it feels better to have at least like the main parts do you find it easy to to transition from your personal work to to more uh client work commission work yeah i mean it's uh it's pretty much the same except i'm not uh i'm not totally in charge (laughs) at the end of the day you want them to like it 
and you want them to feel like they didn't waste their time. And if they don't do anything with it, I, it's, uh, even if I get paid, it's a total waste of time, you know? So you want everybody to be happy, and that's really the only difference, which I think that's the way it is with illustration all across the board. You know, clients got to be happy, you got to be happy. I mean, I'm lucky to where I do have, um, I'm never bored because I always have my own stuff to do. And I prefer it if my life was a 50-50 blend of my own work and then other people's work. But, uh, you know, that rarely ever happens. I'll go through a couple months where I have to do, I'm just doing client stuff all the time. And then I finally get to have a breather and do it. But then halfway through that, I'm like, oh, shit, I got to make some money again. <laughs> you know, I need to get these clients back. Would you, would you say most of your income comes from, from client work and not really from, from your own personal work? I mean, it's hard to tell because indirectly, I'm sure a lot of client work for you comes also from your personal work. And some of your personal work actually earns you money, I'm sure. But yeah, 100 percent. The personal work is an advertisement for me working for other people. That's a fucking given. Do you ever worry about running out of ideas of stuff to do with your own personal work? It doesn't sound like it, but. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, the main the problem is. And here's the real problem is that everything takes so long to do right. that yeah, it yeah. feels like uh, I wish I could if I could snap my fingers and have a ton of things out at once, I would do it all the time. Like I've had so many things I wish I could do, but I um, I can't because it just uh, takes so long to do the, hmm. what I'm doing right yeah. now, you know? My last question is kind of like I always ask this, but um, if if you could give illustrators cartoonists or other artists starting out today uh, advice, what would it be? What would you say? I guess just the 50-50 blend between your own work and other people's, I think, is a nice uh, way to do it. And I mean, if I was starting out now, I don't think I would do anything differently because uh, basically the way things happened were was I just put stuff out there and then things happened because of it. So I think that's just the only way to do it. And that's ideal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is to have a have your own work to where you want to work all the time, you know, like, uh, that's the yeah. dream here is just being a complete, uh, and total, uh, servant to working all the time, <laughs> which I wouldn't say, I mean, this is such a illustration is such a specifically funny thing. Like whenever I do meet other like cartoonists or illustrators, it really is just like, it's the most boring questions back and forth. Like, Oh, what, how, uh, what time do you start working? Oh, I usually start working around 10. Yeah, when you stop, like <laughs> 7 or 8. You know, it's like, you do it every day? Yeah, I do it every yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much what the thing is. Like, um, you take a day off once a week? No, I want to, <laughs> yeah. but I don't. <laughs> so that's kind of, uh, yeah. Which, I mean, I have no problems with it, and I wouldn't want anything else in the world. Like, this is such a dream, which seems so absurd that my dream is, uh, my dream was just sitting, <laughs> drawing these weird drawings all day, every day. But, hey, I'm living it, and I'm loving it. So, I guess that's the dream, you know? So, we already talked about the books you kind of returned to um, for inspiration, but uh, I was wondering if you had, I guess, in terms of, uh, comic books that you actually enjoy um, if you have a few that you might want to share hmm well um, besides the I mean we talked about the Tagawa Suho stuff uh, those are great because uh, they're not even the ones I own aren't even published in English you know it's just in Japanese and I can't read Japanese but I just don't even uh, a book I go to all the time is Bill Blackbeard's like uh, Collected Treasury and Newspaper Comics you ever seen that? No I haven't Oh, it's amazing. It's It was one of my favorite books when I was a kid. And I would get it from the library every week. Like, I would constantly check it out. And I would try to draw, like, people in it all the time. And, uh, yeah, that's still a book I go to all the time and that I love. And cannot, uh, I cannot stop praising that book to the end of time. It's incredible. It's just like a collection of, well, like, newspaper comics from, like, the 30s, 20s, 30s. Cool, that sounds really cool, yeah. Uh, yeah. 40s. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great book. And it has tons of people that have been passed over now and forgotten about. I mean, not everybody in the book is my favorite, obviously, but uh, it's just a great resource. And yeah. uh, 
I read online that you were a musician as well. Uh, Not really. I mean, I like I did some like uh, noise band touring in my twenties, uh, but I mean, now whenever I like think about doing that, I'm like, yeah, I'd rather be drawing. So I have one final question: Is that and that's uh, do you have any big 2020 goals? I mean, I guess right now everybody's goals are kind of on hold or or not. My day-to-day isn't really that different. I mean, I'm not getting uh, the gigs inbox has slowed down, but I have this thing that I've been doing for a while that um, uh, it's supposed to be a free thing, which will be great when it's done, but uh, you don't, I don't even know what will happen yeah. when it's done, you know, like if the free thing can even still happen. But either way, you know, I'm 26 pages out of 32 or 40 into getting this done. So yeah. I just need to get it done, you know? So this, and then doing another book, you know? Those are the two big goals. And hopefully, uh, yeah, making it making it through uh, this period, you know? Like everybody else is. Yeah. Well, it was really nice to talk to you. And uh, thanks for, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that was my conversation with Brian Blumuth. Remember, you can find links to everything we talked about, books, people, Brian's graphic novel, in this episode's show notes, which are on our website at illustrationhour.com forward slash Blumuth. Thanks again to Brian for your time. That's it for this one. Have a safe and creative week, everyone. <laughs>